This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio on 1160 AM, 103.1 FM, WMET, the Guadalupe Radio Network. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Digital Editor for the Archdiocese of Baltimore and the Catholic Review. As of the end of June, more than 10 million cases of COVID-19 have been confirmed worldwide, with more than 502,000 deaths. The virus has now spread to every continent except Antarctica. Catholic Relief Services, the Baltimore-based humanitarian assistance program of the U.S. Catholic bishops that serves people in need in more than 100 countries, has been working to prevent the spread of the pandemic and help those impacted by it. Today on Catholic Review Radio, we speak with the president and CEO of CRS, Sean Callahan. Sean Callahan, thanks for being here on Catholic Review Radio. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Governments in the developed world have really struggled in their response to the coronavirus pandemic. We can just look to examples in Italy or right here in our own country. But the challenges must be even more enormous in the developing world. Could you tell our listeners some of the ways that CRS is trying to aid the people in the developing world in dealing with the pandemic? Sure. You know, first I'd just like to say that, that I've been uh, incredibly impressed at the way many of the governments in, uh, in low-resource countries have uh, taken the advice and counsel of the international health agencies uh, to uh, try to prevent the, the coronavirus from spreading. Many of these countries, you know, had, had uh, some type of uh, pandemic in the past or more recently the Ebola uh, uh, epidemic. And so they really jumped right on and acted in many cases. And I think that that's uh, prevented a lot of, uh, a lot of deaths. CRS has worked closely, as it does normally, with the local church and local governments in trying to respond to the pandemic. So as soon as the, the pandemic um, came up on the international scene, a CRS started modifying many of its programs to make sure uh, that the internationally recognized protocols uh, were in place. So the washing of hands, the uh, spacing of uh, people, uh, wearing of masks, um, and then we continued with many of our programs, but incorporated these protocols uh, into them. And we were fortunate that uh, many of our international donors uh, were sympathetic to that uh, and allowed us flexibility in our grants uh, so that we could um, adjust our program accordingly. And we were also uh, appreciative that local governments recognized the work the church was doing on the ground uh, and allowed us uh, with uh, you know, special uh, access to communities and people so that they weren't out there on their own. And so we've continued doing our, our programs uh, related to uh, livelihoods and making sure that people had uh, seeds and the, the proper water resources to plant uh, crops and move them forward. And we've been continuing on our health interventions with updates uh, regarding COVID so that um, mother and children continue to get vaccinations, continue to get mosquito nets, and continue to get the treatment they need. So 
the church didn't didn't shut down uh, overseas uh, as it didn't here in the United States and continues to to reach out to those mo- most in need at this difficult time. It, it seems like education on the spread of the virus has been one of the cornerstones of what you've done in addressing the pandemic. Could you talk about that a little bit? What are some of the ways you're trying to educate people? You know, it, it certainly is. And, and, well, we've been lucky that, uh, you know, CRF has uh, various education programs. And although those education programs uh, in many cases were suspended uh, due to COVID because the classrooms were were closed, uh, we didn't stop the program. So what we did was uh, provided uh, food resources, which are often given at, uh, in the schools, food resources uh, to students, but we give them a monthly ration so that people didn't come together at different times. We told people, um, and we found this with Ebola too, that if you give the correct uh, information, people usually act accordingly. And so we provided them uh, with information for the community groups uh, that work with us on education or health or livelihoods and agriculture. Uh, And these messages went out uh, and spread out throughout the community. So it's just crucial that people, one, know how to protect themselves, uh, and then we give uh, them the resources to do it. I think one of the challenges that we have found, particularly with COVID, has been that uh, having Europe and the United States hit first, uh, that there was a reticence uh, to get the appropriate uh, equipment out there as quickly. And so we've been really uh, struggling to make sure that we can get uh, the protective personal equipment uh, and other assistance out to these people because there was such a need in Europe and the United States. I read about a nun in Zambia who is actually using funding from CRS to produce a radio program in her country that's educating women on maternal wellness during this time of pandemic. And she's become quite a sensation from what I hear. Is that typical of the kinds of things CRS is supporting? You know, it's, it's amazing uh, the ingenuity that our church partners have on the ground. And uh, th- that is one of, one of the great stories. More and more uh, messages are being sent out uh, over the airways uh, from radio stations. And some of them are Catholic radio stations and others are public radio stations that the Catholic Church um, has been asked to, to join into to get those messages out. The, the most important thing, I think, in crises like these uh, is trust. Uh, and the church uh, and the community health workers and groups that uh, Catholic Relief Services works with on the ground have been there when people face crisis, when their father was dying or their wife was uh, having a difficult pregnancy or their children were, you know, high with malaria. So they trust that the message that are coming from uh, the church uh, and our church partners on the ground is is a true message, and it's a message that is going to help the people. And so, like like you talk about the sister in Zambia, we've got several cases of that that for us is very exciting that the work continues even though we're not together and that people are responding very energetically. What do you do for, to protect the health of the CRS workers and partners in the field? You know, uh, clearly the, the protection of our own team uh, as well as our, our local partners is crucial and for two reasons. You know, one is we want to make sure that we're giving our own team uh, a, a leg up uh, and making sure that they don't get sick as they go and reach out to others because, um, as I said, people did not uh, shy away from going out and reaching out to people who are in difficult circumstances. And so we're doing all we can to protect them with uh, equipment, with education, with protocols, with proper health and security, 
and, and making sure that all of our team knows what resources are out there and how we can assist them. And similarly, our local partners. So when we've done distributions, instead of bringing everyone together, um, we, we have done it um, in segmented groups, or we've gone house to house with mosquito nets so that um, we wouldn't contact, uh, have greater uh, situations of contact and the possibility of spread. When we're doing uh, distributions where people come in, there's either uh, we either make circles on the ground so that they know uh, what the protocols are and how to stay away. Uh, we have megaphones for announcing that out there. So keeping our team, making sure they know what's going on, identifying them well and giving them the proper tools and equipment uh, to outreach, such as, uh, you know, radio messaging instead of doing it in person. Uh, but then also on the ground uh, telling people that as they take uh, these, uh, sometimes the food that we're providing them or other messages, to go out and spread that within their community to stop the spread of coronavirus. You mentioned the importance of wearing masks, and that's become so critical for containing the spread of the virus. Uh, does CRS manufacture a mask, or do you distribute masks in any way in the, in the places you serve? You know, CRS has been, uh, one, encouraging uh, masks and did, distributing them in some of the areas with some of the resources we have. Uh, but I think that the more exciting thing has been that uh, many of our partners uh, in local areas and the people that we're working with, uh, they have started uh, small enterprises uh, to produce masks and other um, uh, defensive mechanisms that can go out there. Uh, and so we've been supporting those efforts. So uh, women with sewing machines, you know, preparing uh, masks and all so that they can get out to people. So we've been encouraging that to happen at the local community level one, to give people some employment at this time of lockdown, but also uh, people want to give back to their communities and assist, and they see this as a way of giving back and being one with the community. Mm -hmm. The wearing of masks here in our own country has become so politicized. Do you see that in other parts of the world, or is it not the same kind of issue as it is here in the United States? Yeah, you know, quite frankly, we've been a, a little bit co concerned uh, and, and disappointed here in the United States uh, that people don't realize the mask isn't just for your own protection, uh, but it's to protect other people in case unknowingly you are carrying that virus. Uh, and we have found that uh, overseas in general, there's been a few countries, and, and I think most notably in the media you've seen some, but most of the locations we've seen people have uh, really readily um, taken on the mask, and, and we found that, uh, that that this has really contributed to the stop of the spread and people taking it seriously. In many of our offices uh, and the locations where we're at, people's temperatures are taken. They're asked, uh, have they traveled and how do they feel? Uh, they have been asked to wear a mask. They're asked to wash their hands. And some of these protocols uh, we've used in previous uh, viruses that, are, that have come, come down, the SARS virus and the H1N1, uh, but more recently with Ebola, and uh, that had been a way that uh, in West Africa we stopped Ebola in its tracks. And so I think the, the people in these countries really see the value of, of the masks and other um, steps to take in order to ensure, you know, uh, the safety of their local communities. You, you must have heard scores of incredible personal stories of lives touched by the pandemic. Is there one or two that really stand out for you of people who have really been impacted by the pandemic? 
you know, I think every story of people who, you know, are sacrificing uh, themselves to help other people, to me, just really touches me. And and I think uh, we have no dearth of those of our, our partners uh, around the world. Uh, one case that, uh, that was uh, one of the first cases that we saw was our team uh, in Philippines. And as you know, Philippines is one of the locations uh, that often is hit by many emergencies and probably... 60% of the world's, uh, you know, cyclones and typhoons and things uh, end up hitting countries in Asia, and Philippines happens to be one that really, uh, unfortunately, often is in the eye of the storm. And our team was, uh, we have a big project there in which we were helping people with housing after a previous hurricane, uh, and then uh, we saw uh, on uh, on the radar that a new hurricane was coming and the government was going to close down areas so that uh, people were safe in, in their homes. Uh, and our, our team on the ground there uh, was notified that this group of people that um, were people who drove three-wheelers and were daily workers, uh, one, weren't yet in their new homes and didn't have a safe place to hunker down, and two, didn't have the resources to stay hunkered down either during the quarantine period that the government was advising uh, or the amount of time that it would take for this uh, super cyclone, you know, to come through. So our, our team uh, on, on their own and even outside of work uh, went down uh, to meet these people, ended up helping them, got some trucks and vehicles and all, and ended up transporting them to the safe housing uh, in a location that wouldn't be flooded uh, from the new cyclone. Uh, and then they, the staff members had their own savings group, and they took the money from their own savings group to purchase uh, food and drinks so that they could ride out the storm. So here was a, a group of local Filipinos who work for uh, the church and CRS on the ground giving of their own money to make sure that some of their uh, community got into the housing, could be safe, and could weather another uh, a tra tragic storm that was coming into the Philippines at the time of COVID-19. So they educated the group to COVID-19, plus gave them the resources to weather another emergency that was coming in on the back of COVID. Well, that's amazing. So many lives saved that way, I'm sure. Exactly. Our guest today is Sean Callahan, President and CEO of Baltimore-based Catholic Relief Services. When we return, we'll continue our conversation and learn about a new program CRS has launched to raise awareness about global hunger. I'm George Matisek. You are listening to Catholic Review Radio. We'll be back in a moment. Archdiocese of Baltimore makes the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org accountability. News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world from the newsroom of the Catholic Review. Alicia Jordan has been named as the new principal of Mother Mary Lang Catholic School, the first new Catholic school in Baltimore City in nearly 60 years. Jordan is the current principal of St. Mary of the Mills School in Laurel 
and will begin her work in August in Baltimore to prepare the school for its opening in September 2021. She said it's a privilege and an honor to be appointed the first principal of a school named after one of the pioneers in education and to continue Mother Mary Lang's legacy by educating the children of Baltimore. Jordan plans to meet in the coming months with parents and students of Holy Angels School and St. James and John School, which will join at the new campus on Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. The new principal has three master's degrees in aspects of education from Notre Dame of Maryland University in Baltimore and is expected to complete her doctorate in urban educational leadership from Morgan State University later this year. Mother Mary Lang School is expected to serve nearly 500 students in pre-K-3 through 8th grade. Jordan is excited about the facilities the school will offer students and the community, including a media center, a full gym and sports field, a maker space, and a chapel. She is looking for innovative educators ready to rock and roll and roll up their sleeves, she said. This is Christopher Gunty of the Catholic Review. Subscribe to our e-newsletter by texting CR Media to 84576 or get all the latest news at catholicreview.org. You are listening to Catholic Review Radio on 1160 AM and 103.1 FM WMBT, the Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek. We've been talking about the global coronavirus pandemic with Sean Callahan, President and CEO of Catholic Relief Services. I understand there's a new campaign that you just launched in May called Lead the Way on Hunger. Could you tell us about that? Sure. The Lead the Way campaign is a a campaign that was inspired uh, by the Holy Father. The Holy Father uh, really raised the question on why are people still hungry in this world? And for all of us, you know, as we reflect on it, to think that one in every nine persons is going hungry in the world is really a a great tragedy. And so Catholic Relief Service was inspired uh, by the Holy Father's message and decided that we would start a lead the way campaign that each of us needs to be part of a process in which we lead the way to try to eradicate hunger. Uh, And we're asking people to do uh, three different things. Uh, The first is to join the campaign and the movement. And so join together with others, uh, form solidarity groups. And if you go to uh, uh, crs.org or crsespanol.org, you can see how we're bringing people together to address this problem of of hunger. Uh, The second thing is we're asking people not only to come together, uh, but to use their voices, because the Holy Father said, it's not enough uh, that we reflect, it's not enough that we pray, we need to act to change the lives of our sisters and brothers who are suffering right now. Uh, And so we're asking people to write to their senators, write to their congressmen, join together in an effort to make sure we can um, have our government participate in this process of eradicating hunger and the U.S. take a leadership role. Since we are blessed with so many resources in this country, we need to help those uh, resource-starved countries to also be able to address these issues in their countries. And then thirdly, uh, those people who have some wealth um, or can give even a little bit, that they join themselves in donating and that this be something uh, that radiates throughout the Catholic community here in the United States so we can show that the Catholic community here is committed to eradicating uh, the hunger and suffering of our brothers and sisters. 
Have you been receiving support from the U.S. federal government in some of your outreach around the world, especially as it relates to the pandemic? You know, we, we have, and we've been, been very pleased uh, with the flexibility of the U.S. government to date. So they have allowed us flexibility to adjust uh, current grants, uh, and recently um, they have been providing additional access to new funds so that we can uh, outreach to people. Uh, but we're finding that with this COVID-19, some of the lockdowns and the inability of people to work, uh, the prediction is that hunger is going to double, acute hunger is going to double in 2020 from the numbers that we had just in 2019. And so what we're trying to do here at CRS is minimize uh, that increase and um, provide some additional assistance. So we, along with um, other members of the church uh, and other nonprofit organizations, are going together and asking the U.S. government to include a package with the trillions of dollars uh, that the Congress um, is appropriately uh, approving for people in the United States to help ward off poverty and hunger in the midst of ourselves here in our own country, but also uh, to approve $12 billion for assistance overseas so that we can continue those efforts and that we can address, one, uh, COVID in advance uh, of of, uh, the hunger pandemic coming as well, um, but also address those needs that are combining uh, with COVID to really negatively impact the communities we serve. The immediate impact of hunger is pretty obvious, but there are also some long-term consequences of malnutrition later on in a person's life. Uh, could you talk about that in terms of how hunger affects child development and impacts a person later in life? Sure. That's a, that's a great question, George, because I, I think we often think here in the United States, oh, I, I'm I'm hungry and, you know, it, it makes me feel a little bit low and down and uh, we don't realize the long-term impacts. But particularly on young children from zero to age five, if they don't have adequate nutrition, then they become malnourished and a event called stunting uh, occurs. And when stunting occurs, it means that these children will never realize uh, their true human potential. Uh, They will have cognitive deficits. They will have motor skill deficits because at this important time of their their, uh, body's development and their brain's development, they didn't have adequate nutrients to allow them to flourish. And so uh, we are very, very concerned at these uh, children at this very young stage that they get that adequate nutrition. So not only are we providing assistance in food in some cases, but we're also educating family members, doing family gardens, uh, and assisting with the growing of diversified crops so that they can get those nutrients in. Uh, the people there are, are that we've been working with in Latin America and Africa and Asia uh, have been very receptive to it. Uh, they're welcoming these technologies, and they're really working quite hard we just need to give them that mustard seed, that little bit of assistance so that they can assist uh, their children for a longer and healthier lifetime. We have about a minute left. Uh, I, I noticed that you started some CRS chapters recently. Could you tell us what those chapters are, how they work, and, and what they do? We have uh, formed some chapters around the world, and, and they're really uh, around the country, and they're really solidarity groups. And, and what has happened is uh, when we were – uh, involved in the Encuentro uh, a few years uh, back, 
uh, we found more and more people were saying, how can I get involved? How can I participate? Uh, and so CRS has decided uh, to try to mobilize people uh, around the country through different chapters in local communities and various cities. And these chapters are chapters that come together uh, to share in solidarity and respond to the issues of social justice uh, and the gospel. And so we're asking uh, people to come together in those. And then once they come together and they share um, different ideals and aspirations, we then ask them to act upon them. And so speak with their congressmen, raise resources, identify issues that need to get out into the media. So these uh, chapters around the country, we expect that they will grow. We expect that they will be an advocacy force into the future and that it will show the influential voice that the Catholic Church has on social uh, justice globally. And, and I think this is in line with uh, the Holy Father's commitment to, to assisting those most in need around the world. And a lot of these chapters would be in universities and parishes and things like that? Exactly. We, we would do them in universities and parishes, and we're even finding uh, now that we've got some that are based on language groups because there's some solidarity uh, there. But even surprisingly, you know, some businesses are saying we would like to have a chapter as well. And so we are open for new experimentation and ways on how we can bring people together. We've seen so much division uh, in our country over the last uh, several years that we would like to unite people um, for the good of humanity. Please uh, join us. Uh, go to our website, which is at uh, www.crs.org or uh, www.crsespanol.org. We have one uh, website that's in Spanish and one that's in English, uh, and we'll be in touch and, and provide any assistance that we can. Terrific. Sean Callahan, President and CEO of Baltimore-based Catholic Relief Services. Thanks so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio. Thank you, George. Appreciate it. Our guest today has been Sean Callahan, President and CEO of Baltimore-based Catholic Relief Services. For Catholic Review Radio, I'm George Matisek. Thanks for listening. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Check out Catholic Review Radio on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Next week on the show, guest host Father Brian Nolan talks with Dawn Walsh about what's available at the Shrine Grotto of Our Lady of Lourdes in Emmitsburg and how people can visit this summer. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. 
Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.